New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Welcome to New York Game Day. Now here's Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. I love this song. <laughs> wow, time. It is New York Game Day here at 98.7 ESPN. Anita Marks, Matthias Kiwanuka, and uh, Mike Tannenbaum is going to be joining us at the top of the 10 a.m. hour. So, Kiwi, I lived in New Orleans for three years, and I lived in the quarter, and uh, we had House of Blues there. And uh, so at, at that point in time, you know, there was a slew of really phenomenal artists that would come into town and perform, and uh, and so I, I saw him perform that live at House of Blues, 800 people, standing room only. It was probably one of the most uh, fun and exciting. Uh, we were all doing the slide, 800 people, standing room only, House of Blues, doing the slide to that song. It was uh, it was it was quite fun. Uh, 800-919-3776, the phone number you want to get on board. Let's continue to talk about the Giants. As the Giants get ready to take on uh, the Cowboys today, you know, a part of me, okay, let's talk about the matchup, right? But really, it's, it's, it's a tale of two stories here. Because for the Giants, they're starting Mike Glennon. Okay, it really doesn't uh, excite anyone, right? Um, not sure what's going to happen with Saquon Barkley. Everything we're hearing right now is that he's going to play, but he's dealing with an ankle issue. Kadarius Tony's got COVID. I know they've been trying to work Galladay into the equation, but... For whatever reason, it's just it's it's not coming together. Um. So, you know, at, at this point, you know, and I and I, I said it earlier. I'd like to see what Jake Fromm could bring to the table. I know he's never started an NFL game before. Maybe this isn't the game that Jake Fromm starts because the Dallas Cowboys defense has been quite good as of late, uh, especially their pass rush. I think whoever's going to be back there behind center is, is going to be in for a long day, especially with uh, Gregory and, and, and Parsons uh, pinning their ears back and coming after you and how uh, disappointing the Giants' offensive line has been performing the last few weeks. So, uh, you know, for, for the Giants, in, in the conversation there really is about the future of the organization and, and where it's headed. You know, uh, I know earlier this week, Keyshawn and, and those the guys who do the morning show said that made a comment and said that Daniel Jones took his last snap under center as a Giants quarterback. Well, maybe this season, but you know, I don't and, and I want to I want to have this conversation in regard to you know ha, has have we really seen have we really seen the best of Daniel Jones? Have we really given Daniel Jones an opportunity to perform? You know, it's Ty and I yesterday on my show, we had a conversation about the difference between Zach Wilson and, and Mac Jones. And, you know, even prior to this season and prior, you know, I, I actually thought Mac Jones was going to go to the 49ers, to be quite frank. Uh, but obviously that's not what happened. But I was big on Mac Jones for a number of reasons, and, and, and a lot of them was because of his skill set. But Ty and I got into this conversation yesterday on the show that, you know, would Mac Jones have the season he's having this year, uh, which he's running away with the rookie of the year, which he's going to get. Uh, hopefully he got it at 25 to 1. I did when the season began. But nonetheless, 
him being drafted by the 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 Patriots and the system that he has been placed in and the coaching staff that he has and the talent that he has around him and arguably top offensive line. You know, would, would Mac Jones have this type of season if he wasn't drafted by the Patriots and played somewhere else, let's say here in New York with the Jets? Now, I do believe he'd be better than Zach Wilson because I think he's more advanced than Zach Wilson at this stage in the game. Zach obviously coming from BYU, Mac coming from Alabama. You know, earlier this week, um, you know, the guys who do the morning show on, on ESPN National uh, came out and said that Daniel Jones was has played his last game as a giant. Mm-hmm. And and somebody, somebody, anytime 55 tweeted that, and I retweeted, so this is what he tweeted. Keyshawn and Jay on ESPN Morning Show both said Daniel Jones has already played his last game as a giant. So I retweeted that and I said, why? Because Daniel made Nate Solder the highest paid left tackle in the NFL one year. I saw because, that. I saw it. Yeah. Because Daniel Jones drafted Saquon Barkley over Bradley Chubb and, and Quentin Nelson. Because Saquon Bar- because Daniel Jones signed Galladay, who's got 424 passing yards and zero touchdowns on the season. Because Daniel Jones demanded Jason Garrett as his offensive coordinator. Because Daniel Jones passed up on Micah Parsons to trade down for Kadarius Toney, who's only played eight games and uh, not expected to play again today. So, and I know that narrative isn't written fully yet because we don't know what the Giants are going to get in, in regard to the trade with the, with, with the Bears. But I'm sorry, what we've seen from Micah Parsons so far, there's folks out there comparing him to LT, which is unbelievable to me. So mm-hmm. my, my whole point here is, you know, have we really given Daniel Jones a fair shake at assessing his talent based on what he's been working with? No, the, the short answer to that is no. We, exactly. We, we haven't, he hasn't had um, uh, enough opportunity and he hasn't had the tools in place. And he hasn't had a running game. He hasn't had an offensive line. He hasn't had his receiving core healthy. You know, the defense has, has, has struggled at times, even though I think they're playing better. I think what this says is that nobody's talking about the Giants, you know, like people have to like, quickly tune in and try to fight, figure out what's going on. Like normally I think, you know, people are accustomed to, you know, the giants being in the run, in the hunt, being discussed on a, on a regular basis. And right now it's, there's just nothing um, of substance really to talk about because it's another poor underperforming season. And, you know, it's a, a huge franchise for the NFL and everybody wants the giants to be prominent and it's just not happening right now. So I think for, for people who are in tune with it week in and week out, we understand, okay, like there's a lot going on. It is evaluation time for everybody. Um, you know, that includes Daniel Jones, but you know, you can't just look at the the season as a whole, you know, in a quick snapshot and say, okay, he's done, you know, move on from him because there's so many things that have happened. Yeah. Um, you know, he hasn't played behind a, a solid offensive line. You know, I know um, Dave Guttman likes to call them hog mollies, but, you know, the choices that they've made, whether it's in free agency or the draft, haven't panned out, right? Like, hey, listen, Thomas has gotten better this year than last. I know he got criticized a lot last year. Uh, he de- definitely took some steps forward this year, but, you know, the line, as you know, it's, it's a cohesive five-man unit, not one. Um, that's first and foremost. The talent that they've brought in to put around Daniel Jones, uh, with all due respect, love Sterling Shepard, can't stay healthy, right? I don't know what the deal is with Evan Ingram. He's kind of like this middle-of-the-pack tight end. Uh, unbelievable athleticism, but um, just, you know, 
doesn't never doesn't hit into that like top five, top ten tight end, you know, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Galladay did nothing this season. Like I said, f- under five hundred receiving. We're, we're in week fifteen. Under five hundred receiving yards and zero touchdowns. Couldn't stay healthy as as well. Saquon Barkley. I think some big decisions need to be made in regard to Saquon Barkley, Kiwi as well. I mean. A, if, if you're going to pay him, he's going to demand a hefty price. B, he has not been able to stay healthy, ankle, knee, whatever the case may be. I, Me personally, if, if, if I was a, a general manager in the NFL, I'm not paying. Look around the league. Look at how many next man up running backs come in and have major success. I'm not paying kind of Ezekiel Elliott, Lev Bell money to a running back. I'm just not doing it. I'm spending I'm spending the majority of my salary cap money in, in other places, like a defensive end, a left tackle, a quarterback, a corner. Uh, well, I'm not spending, the, I'm not spending issue, on Saquon Barkley. I'm not spending on a running back. But here's here's the issue I have with that. It's that you're not you know you're not just necessarily spending it on a position. You're not just spending it on a running back. You have to look at like what does he bring to the team? Like how much better is he going to make this team? Um, you know, on and off the field and whatnot. So I think you know whether or not you spend that money there there's more than just his play on the field that needs to be evaluated obviously his play on the field is first and foremost but you can't always equate how much somebody makes to their production in terms of numbers because there are engines on these teams that make them go that are not showing up in the stat book so um, having a running back making a significant amount of money I understand how that affects the cap and it needs to be weighed very heavily but there is more to the evaluation process in my mind so would you spend the, I, I understand, you gotta, you have to, I, I understand, you have to I understand. in the building, you have to be in the building and I, I need to know. So I, I'm, I'm going back and I'm, I'm at the point now where it's like, all right, it's time to just evaluate everybody. It's time to, to put the feelings aside. And I know that the, the fans who are, who are, you know, either betting on the games or who just really love it. They're passionate about, you know, giants and, and jets also, you don't, you don't want to hear it, but we're at the point in the season where it's time to, you know, we're looking forward. We're trying to figure out who is going to come back. It, it's an evaluation. And if you're trying to evaluate one, you have to be in the building. I want to see like, what are your practice habits? Like who, who's the first one to show up at practice? Who is the last one to leave? Like when you're sitting there, like who, who do the players gravitate towards? Whose voice is the loudest in the locker room? Just because not, not when they're trying to perform for TV, but when, when other players are, are just gathering around, who are they actually listening to? Because that player has a, a direct a direct line to the rest of the players. As that player goes, so is everybody else going to go. And how his practice habits are, are going to determine how everybody else is going to approach practice. And that's what I was always talking about, like building and changing the culture. The people who you empower you know, have to be in um, the same mindset of the coach, which is we got to get everybody out to practice every single week. We got to get better week in and week out. So that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at, um, I would look at, you know, what the off the field habits are of the people who everybody else is paying the most attention to. I like it. He's Matthias Kiwanuka. I'm Anita Marks. Phone lines are open. 800-919-3776. Let's dive into the future for the Giants, right? I mean, we've taken a lot of calls. I know a number of people would like to see Dave Gettleman move on. Uh, I believe that if that does happen, Kevin Abrams, who's their money guy, then moves up. Just my own opinion, my own two cents. I'm not reporting anything here. Uh, just based on on what I know in the conversations that have happened in that building before, that's, that's the uh, high likeliness that that's what's going to happen. Joe Judge, 
you know, I do believe he stays. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Philip, you're up. Welcome in. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Anita, I'm just going to have to disagree with you on Daniel Jones, and this is why. I've seen enough of Daniel Jones to be able to say, relatively, in my opinion, that he doesn't make your team better. And what I mean by that is, granted, uh, things aren't perfect. Issues with the offensive line, receivers, running back, and stuff like that. But nobody can say, well, you know what? Put the ball in Daniel Jones' hands, and he'll carry us. Because there has to be situations where, you know, uh, 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 your quarterback has to be able to ad-lib. Daniel Jones can run a straight line, but he's not an, an elusive quarterback. He doesn't move in the pocket to extend plays. He, uh, I mean, he, ha- he has a good arm. He, he's intelligent, but I don't think he's a franchise quarterback. I think things have to be too perfect for him in order to, uh, to win. And and in today's NFL, you're going to have offensive line. There's going to be issues, you know, when they break down, and your quarterback is going to have to make plays with his legs. I mean, just extending the play, you know, throwing on the run and stuff like that. I don't think Daniel Jones is that is, is that guy. It's a solid call, Philip, and it's a solid concern, uh, Kiwi. I'll go. I'll go mm. to you on. I'll, I'll go to you here. How many quarterbacks can do that? There's only a handful. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, I yeah, have to agree I mean... <laughs> and disagree. The only thing that we've learned is that, yes, Daniel Jones is not capable of putting this franchise on his back and carrying him down the field week in and week out and, and getting us into the playoffs. I, I can agree with that, but you don't just go and find those guys everywhere. There's there's a reason why you know each one of those quarterbacks' names by heart because that's a very difficult thing to ask of somebody. So if we're, if we're asking – is he a um, you know all-time great franchise quarterback who can you know come in and lead this team into the playoffs? Given the 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 issues that we have, no, we we know that. But is he as bad as maybe his stats may show? No, like he could potentially go somewhere else under the right circumstances, play very well, and have a great career. He has not been put in um, favorable circumstances, and so do you walk away from that and try to rebuild right away, knowing? that you still have a talented quarterback, you know, on your roster. You just haven't been able to put the pieces around him together. No, of course he's not. Yeah. He, he's, he's not the, he's not, he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not doing it all by himself. He's not, he's not capable of that, but not a lot of people are. Uh, just, I'm, I'm just going to rattle off. I, I've, I've got, I've got, you know, all 32 teams here in front of me. I'm just going to rattle off some, some teams that I think would be thrilled to have Daniel Jones as their starting quarterback. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Miami Dolphins would seriously consider it. You know, I know two has been good as of late, but I, I think Miami would be interested in him. Um, Washington, for sure. Um, Pittsburgh, I think this is the last year for Ben Roethlisberger. I think, and I think that they would welcome a Daniel Jones experiment there to see how he can do. Um, Detroit. Um, how, how many of these... You think would insert him as a the Houston the Houston Texans for sure. Um, again, I, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm my eyes are I'm, I'm the Denver Broncos. I, I would I would take Daniel Jones over over Teddy Bridgewater, and I love Teddy Bridgewater. He's a game mm-hmm. manager, but I, I think you got more you you've got a bigger ceiling with uh, Daniel Jones. Better receiving core, good offensive line. I, I think Daniel would thrive in Denver for sure. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I, I think I think that's it. I mean, so I mean, there's there's quite a few teams that I think would would welcome Daniel Jones, his athleticism, athleticism in the service that he would he would be able to provide and and elevate their their quarterback situation for sure. Mm-hmm. And I get it, Let's, and I get I get the frustration, and I understand that in terms of like you get to put there's a hierarchy of positions, and their level of importance in quarterback is up there at the top. So you know, it's it's it, it makes sense that you know fans and callers are frustrated that we're not getting the play out of that position that we want. Uh, let's go to Joel in Hoboken. Joel, you're up. Welcome in. Good morning, Mr. Nia. How are you? Great. Good morning. Okay, good morning. I just want to let you know who he's talking to. Hey, you're talking to two quarterbacks, not only Anita. I got better <laughs> than stats than Tom Brady. I was 6-0 key, no interceptions, championship, lefty quarterback. So I do got something on Tom Brady. I just want to say something about Daniel Jones, and you know, I love you to death, but I disagree with you too. Did you watch Matt Jones yesterday? If he's in any other system, any other unprotected system, his flaws are starting to show, by the way, last night. He's not that good. If Daniel Jones goes to the Patriots, yes, that's a protective system. Matt Jones, you're going to tell me as a sophomore in Alabama, nobody saw this in Matt Jones? Yes, nobody saw it because it wasn't there. Once you get to that Belichick protective i'm going to throw 17 screen passes not one ball last night traveled more than 15 yards i mean come on man anybody that gets in that system including brady but he was he was a game changer they flourish and it's a protective system if you put daniel jones in there it's a protective system if you put matt jones on the jets never would be doing these numbers never and every pass key is less than 10 yards Everything's an underneath cross or a screen in the flat. There's nothing exciting about the guy. And he had two picks last night. One of them's in the red zone. Come on, man. It's going to start to show. It's going to his, numbers, his numbers were 26 of 45, uh, 300 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He had a QB rating of, of 54, uh, and his longest pass was, was 18. So those are your stats on Mac Jones from last night. Um, I, let's I, continue. I, Go I, ahead. I agree. The call, I agree with the caller 100%. What does Mike Tannenbaum always say? Character, uh, talent sets the floor, character sets the ceiling. But in between that floor and that ceiling, you know, the system that you're in has a lot to say about the development. So we can't always just go back and say, oh, had we picked this guy, we would have been having the same amount of success as their team is having. No, you know, we have to, we have to take responsibility for developing the players that we select. 800-919-3776. Let's take one more caller, and then we've got uh, Jordan Renan, who's going to be joining us. Let's go to Keith in the Bronx. Keith, you're up. Yes, good morning, Nita. I was um, listening to you, and I agree with you totally. We don't know about Daniel Jones yet. We've seen him at some highs, and we've seen him at some lows. And with everything around him, we don't know. But more importantly, I want to talk about the Saquon Barkley thing. I screamed in this radio at Keith Candy and them back when the, before the draft when the Giants took Saquon Barkley. And I said they're out of their mind if they can only take a running back number two. You only take a running back that high in the draft if your team is ready to win right now. They needed too many things for them to, to, to waste that pick. Because by the time the Giants become relevant again, Saquon Barkley will not even be a Giant anymore. Kiwi thoughts? I mean, it's unfortunate. I think hindsight is twenty twenty. Regardless of whether or not um, the Giants were 
competitive during the time period after drafting Saquon. Had he been able to stay healthy and put up big numbers, we all would have looked at it as a great pick because he is a great player. He is a great character guy. He just hasn't been able to, to be healthy. And that that affects everybody in the league, regardless of your position, your draft status, or, or whatever it is. Being healthy is one of the hardest things to do in the NFL. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. So, uh, Kiwi, give me uh, one or two keys to the game that uh, you think could at least keep the the Giants in the game. Maybe they could pull something off in the end. Who knows? I'm just trying to be as optimistic as I can right here. <laughs> no, I, I get it. I, I think the biggest the biggest thing is that um, you know for the players on the field when they're going in the game, it's not it's not about keeping it close, like. Like they're they should be about trying to win this game because this is a divisional game. This is a rival. This isn't an opponent that um, historically, you know, for the nine years that that I was in that building, you know, they're going to try to embarrass you, not you, plural, you as an individual. Like there's pride attached to playing in these games. And when they go back to their meeting rooms on Monday, if they got you, they're going to make sure that they highlight it. You know, that's what we did. We came back in the meeting room pumped up, ready to, you know, put on that film when we beat the Cowboys and and, and show because there, there's a lot of pride attached to it. And as soon as you walk in that building, you get it from like ownership all the way down. You know, I said, you know, before, you know, there's a chance that, you know, some of the greats could be walking through the halls. Like when you play, um, you know, in these divisional games, like that's when you start to see some of the great players who have ever put on Giants uniforms, like showing up and, and just walking through and, and having a say and and whatnot. So you understand the, the level of importance. Um, that being said, I, I don't, <laughs> you know, we'll switch. I, I don't believe that they can just do it the traditional way. The traditional way is to, you know, stop the run you know, get after um, the quarterback and then establish dominance from the beginning of the game. So if you look at what the Colts were able to do last night, you know, look at how that offensive line came out the gates. They came out firing. They were adjusting the line of scrimmage immediately in a wave, you know, they're shoulder to shoulder moving, you know, down the field and creating, you know, distance between the line of scrimmage from the, from the start of the play. So as, that's that's how you would do it traditionally. I think when you're you're at this point in the season, you are what you are. You understand what you bring to the table. We've had a very difficult time running the ball. Our offensive line has not been protecting very well. Um, defense, we've been very opportunistic. So I think, okay, you you take advantage of that. Like we have created turnovers, and that's the way that this game would have to be played in order for us to win. You have to on offense just minimize the mistakes. You know, try to establish a run game, but if it doesn't happen, find another way to do it. You know, the tight end position is always, you know, crucial in, in my opinion. Um, but on, it's going to be one on the defensive side of the ball. So get turnovers, get off the field, get them playing behind the sticks, play aggressively, you know, take chances, take risks, you know, put yourself in the position to make that play. I know they brought over Jalen Smith. You know, you can try to pick his brain, but I wouldn't rely on it because I know that those calls and checks that he may have have um, had are going to be changed. So it's really about just being as aggressive as you can on the defensive side of the ball, creating turnovers, and then putting your giving your team more opportunities to score because they're going to need it. And again, this is uh, Kiwi's keys to the game. 
uh, brought to you by Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. It's the original peanut butter whiskey that embraces everybody's nutty side. Release your inner screwball today with Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. Uh, But let me warn you, a night with Screwball will get nutty, so make sure you enjoy responsibly. Also, the NYSSPCA, New York Structural Steel Painting Contractors Association, the most highly trained and skilled structural painters in the world. Without further ado, let's bring in Jordan Renan. He covers the Giants. Jordan, you know, we've spent the majority of the start of the show talking about the future of the Giants, not necessarily this matchup. You know, I mean, listen, this is a a Dallas Cowboys team that's favored by double digits. But but let's start with. Let's talk about these teams, Anita. I know, I know, I know. Every week, this is is what you guys got to talk about. These these New York teams. It's hard. It's hard. No, I'm not going to lie. It's 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 difficult. It's difficult. There's not a lot of exciting stuff to talk about when it comes to either one of these teams. But future wise, we've been spending a lot of time talking about Daniel Jones. Uh, we've got we've got you know we've, yeah. a few callers who've called in. Your thoughts on Jan- Daniel Jones and the future with him with this organization, Jordan? Well, first of all, you, you got to start with his health. You just got to hope that uh, you know that, that, that it, he's able to play football and he does get cleared at some point, and the neck injury doesn't turn into anything bigger. Uh, from a roster construction standpoint, you look at where the Giants are, and I know guys like Russell Wilson and people want to say Aaron Rodgers. Like, those sound fine and dandy, and I, I'm all, usually 99% all for you know, taking care of the quarterback position and worrying about everything after. But the Giants have set themselves up financially to be to play next year to operate next year with a quarterback who's still on his rookie deal so i think the likelihood is you still have daniel jones here next year maybe you bring in a veteran type guy to play alongside him and that's how that's what the roster is constructed for if you want to move on i think the opportunity is is the following year uh not ideal considering russell wilson as we've heard maybe might want to come to New York, uh, but it would be really tough for the Giants not to have Daniel Jones in that mix, in that consideration when it comes to next season. Is your your thought process to keep him in consideration for next season mostly financial, or does it have to do with his play on the field? Uh, I do think the Giants – think very highly still of Daniel Jones that if they put the right pieces around him that he can be a quality quarterback. And he's not alone. I mean, I spoke to uh, a general manager, a, uh, a coach who you know has experience with quarterbacks, uh, and an, an executive like in the last month, and they all thought that Daniel Jones was still a quality NFL starting quarterback. Like, uh, they didn't think he was a top 10 quarterback. They thought he, he was, if you had a decent team around him, that he's like a top 15 type quarterback. So mm-hmm. uh, you can definitely operate with him there. So I think it's that. And then there's the financial side. I mean, it is what it is. You have a quarterback who's making, I don't know, I'm, I didn't look the exact number. But let's say it's around $7 million, right? So you have a quarterback who's making $7 million. If you bring in Russell Wilson, you have a quarterback who's making about $40 million, you know, who's in the $40 million range. I mean, think about the gap there. That is a gigantic gap for a team that is kind of strapped on money. So I think that it all factors into the equation. But health is also probably the number one thing that's going to factor into the equation. So with that decision, first of all, will be made by somebody who's not here right now, right? There's going to be a new general manager. 
that's pretty much going to happen. So the, the person who's going to make the decision is not here. There's still not a final certainty on his health. So we're sitting here, and right now it really is all speculation. Nobody knows what the Giants are going to do with uh, in regards to the quarterback because it's impossible the guy who's making decisions is not with the organization. Again, Jordan Renan joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. But, Jordan, everything that I've heard, not just recently, but in the, the past few years, is that Kevin Abrams is going to step in and take over that role when Dave Gettleman uh, does decide to exit. And, and I think we're all on the same page that we believe that that will be at the end of this season. Are you hearing differently now? What, what are you hearing? Yeah, that's going to be a tough move for the Giants. Uh, I don't think that's something that they put themselves in position to make happen, especially in regards to if you're talking about the personnel side. Uh, you know, they are looking – I mentioned this about, I don't know, six weeks ago. The Giants were already basically doing work uh, behind the scenes on uh, – locating potential GM candidates. So the fact that they are already basically lining up potential candidates that are outside the normal quote-unquote family, you know, the, the, the inside. The, the Giants are at the point right now where I, I don't think they can go and hire internally because the pressure would be uh, and the outrage would just you know, it would be too much for that. This is an organization. Remember, they backtracked on the, a decision that John Mara was fully on board with because of the public outcry for Eli Manning. I mean, that is that's exactly what happened. I mean, they didn't. They underestimated what the reaction publicly would be if they benched Eli Manning. The reaction, while not the same, because you know, there's not the emotional attachment to anybody like Eli Manning. But they just they can't. My opinion is that at this point, it's reached a point where they cannot go internally because they need fresh uh, views, fresh mindset, and fresh ideas. Because look at the results. The results in the last eight years overall, the last five years in particular, have been terrible. So you can't just keep rolling it back. I think they're going to look at it and come to that realization as well. If we can, let's can we go back to the Daniel Jones discussion just for a second? And my question is, okay. let's let's say that there's the ideal situation, meaning we have a running game, we fix the offensive line, the defense is performing well, right? Those are the things that we've talked about. And you have your offensive weapons that are healthy. What is the maximum right. expectation that you would put on Daniel Jones? Because we're talking a lot and callers are asking, you know, do we have enough to evaluate Daniel Jones? What would be the maximum expectation that you could put on Daniel Jones under the ideal situation if everything was fixed next year? I think from the people that I talk to, is he's probably like a top 10 or 12 quarterback. If he, uh, you know, if he, you can protect him a little bit, keep him from uh, being under consistent pressure. Where I think that's when we see him fall apart. Like the panic kind of sets in when he knows he's just going to get smashed consistently. Uh, so. I think he's right around that top 10 range, what, what people I talk to seem to think he can be. But now the injury concern is definitely something you have to add to the equation now. Three years, three injuries. He runs the ball. 
at times. He's a tough guy. That kind of works against him in that he's going and putting his head down and taking some of these hits that maybe you would like him to avoid. So that's all part of the evaluation. I think it makes it even trickier. But really, if you think about it, that's right around where Eli Manning was. Right? Eli Manning, for the most part, the regular season, let's discount the postseason for one second, was around the top ten quarterback. So I think that's sort of the ceiling what people see when they see Daniel Jones. Now, who knows? Uh, it's unlikely anybody could then be around the top ten quarterback and then play in the big games in the postseason like Eli Manning did. But uh, I think we're, you know we're still back to making that comparison. Like that's sort of the you know the Daniel Jones uh, max out at this point. I think he is Jordan Manon. Win is he is he a is he a quarterback that you can win with? Can you win a championship with him? I think you can, but you're going to need the right piece. You're going to need the right piece around him. He's not the guy who's going to sit there and carry you uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, put you on your shoulders. He's not the – he's not. He's never going to be the Aaron Rodgers, the Tom Brady, uh, the Holmes. The feeling there does not look like that's where it's going. So he's sort of in that next level group to me. Like Matt Ryan, you know, he popped up and had that year. Uh, the Eli's of the world, uh, you know, really good quarterbacks. You can be a really good quarterback. Certain years, they, you know, they could be a top five, seven quarterback, but they're never going to be, you know, in that top five range. He's Jordan Manon joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. Jordan, really quick, because we are up against a break. Uh, will do, you, do you think we'll see Jake from today at any point in time? And uh, what do you think the, uh, the uh, number of snaps Saquon Barkley is going to get with the ankle injury? Uh, yeah, I'm not overly concerned about the ankle injury for Saquon. They kind of gave him like a maintenance day on Wednesday. So I think you're looking at, I don't know about uh, rushes because, you know, who knows where this, where this game is going to go in regards to uh, score-wise. But I'd say he's going to play a good 80, 80% of the uh, running back snaps, which makes him a very viable option for fantasy if that's where we're going here. Uh, but... Uh, in regards to Jake Fromm, uh, I would be surprised if we saw Jake Fromm unless we're talking about the Giants basically being blown out of the game and uh, needing Jake Fromm in the game. Look, you watch him at practice. He was a fourth-string quarterback two weeks ago for a reason. Uh, he, yeah, he just still does how, how well does he know the playbook? He's been here two-plus weeks. You're not going to see a lot of Jake Fromm. It's Mike Lennon. If they fall behind, if it's really awful, yeah, then maybe you'll see Jake Fromm. Uh, but I wouldn't come into this game with the expectation that it's a Jake Fromm show at any point in time, aside from the blowout. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Joining us is Rich Samini, who does a phenomenal job as always covering the Jets. Uh, he has his own podcast as well flight deck hopefully everybody tunes into that you can see his work all over nfl uh all all over uh, espn.com that's for sure so uh rich welcome in first things first um let, let's talk about zach wilson and you know again you know the struggles continue at the same time i mean we're seeing justin fields improve slowly but surely trey lance as we know hasn't taken the field jimmy garoppolo is just uh, you know, crushing it. That's going to be interesting to see how they move forward, especially if he continues to play the way that he is. Uh, Mac Jones is setting records. You know, what, what, do you, what do you think 
what do you think is the mindset right now with this organization? Do you think that there's even a, a, an inkling that they're like, did we draft the wrong guy? <laughs> well, if they're thinking that now, then, uh, boy, that's not a good sign. Uh, I, I think they're still confident in Zach. I mean, this wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision to pick him. I mean, they put months and months of research into him. And and so, uh, you know, are they, are they disappointed? Sure. I'm sure they're disappointed that he hasn't been playing better. Um, it's been – let's be honest, it's, it's been a bad year for him. And, uh, you know, it, we have to really dig hard to find improvement. The one positive I can say is he has cut down his interceptions. I think he's had two – in the last 100-and-something attempts, whereas early in the year, I think it was a 9 out of 180 or something like that. So his interception rate has gone down, but uh, that's about the one positive I can say. Everything else, I mean, his accuracy is really poor right now. You saw it against the Saints last week. His pocket presence is poor. It's, uh, he's just got a long, long way to go. Why do you think um, things went south so bad last week? The week before that, um, you know, we were talking about how he had had one of his best performances and, you know, it was it was positive. What what do you think was the uh, cause for the setback last week? Well, I think the Saints have a better defense than the Eagles, and I think their style of plays are different. Uh, and by that, I mean the Eagles were playing a lot of soft zones. So I think early in the game you saw Zach get into a really good rhythm. He was uh, He played his best half of football all year. He was getting rid of the ball quickly. In fact, it was 2.11 seconds release time in that first half against the Eagles. He was easy to spot his receivers because it was soft zone. The Saints played a lot of man-to-man, you know, and they were disruptive. And let's not forget, and maybe I buried the lead here, but, you know, they were without a lot of key pieces last week, the Jets. You know, no Elijah Moore, no Corey Davis, no Michael Carter, so, you know, that did not help Wilson's chances, but it was a very aggressive man-to-man defense. The receivers had trouble getting separation, and I think that really threw Zach off his game, and that's why his completion percentage was so bad against New Orleans. Rich, how, how, much, how much of a concern is this season mentally for him? You know, I mean, obviously, I know, you know, you, you, you have the ability, you've got your finger on the pulse of this team and him better than most in regard to the, the, the Zoom and, you know, whatnot. But, like, you know, we've, we've heard these horror stories before, right? Like, we saw it with one of the Carr brothers. You know, they come in and they don't have the right personnel, they don't have the right offensive line, and, and they struggle, and then it just it affects them mentally. Is, is, there, is there any concern there for him in this regard? It's a very valid question, and here's, here's what I – when I listen to Zach, I'm at all his press briefings, I hear a very conflicted young man. I, I, I think he doesn't know left from right right now. I think he every week – you know, any, any, I'm not – he's good. He's a good guy. I think he takes media appearances. He's very earnest. He tries to give forthright answers and be as honest as he can, and I'm listening to him on Thursday – and he's talking about, you know, how he's so eager to please the coaches that he just has to be himself and you know, he can't worry about being a perfect pocket passer. He just has to be free and loose. And, and, and he just sounds like he's conflicted, like the coaches are telling him one thing and he's, he's feeling another. And he's got a lot of voices in his ear. You know, they have so many coaches. They have, they have four people directly involved in coaching the quarterbacks, which is too many. And I think they're going to have to streamline that in the offseason. So 
I just hope they're not messing with his head because the stuff I hear right now, and I've been around a lot of young quarterbacks, the stuff I hear is not good because he just sounds like he doesn't know what he's supposed to be or what he's supposed to do, and that's concerning. Has there been a positive impact from bringing in the veteran Flacco on the on the staff or on, on the team? Or um, no? I think it has. Yeah, I, I think it was too little, too late. They should have had Joe Flacco in the off season. Uh, or someone of his ilk, a veteran guy, because I do think it helps. And I think it'll help this week against Miami in particular, because if you recall that uh, we had a little bit of a quarterback controversy the last time the Jets played the Dolphins, where, where Wilson was still injured, and Robert Sala pulled his stunner by naming Flacco to start against the Dolphins instead of Mike White, who was the popular choice. And actually, that turned out to be a pretty good decision, because Flacco did reasonably well i mean the jets did lose the game but it wasn't because of flacco i thought he played a pretty heady game knowing how to handle all those miami blitzes and they do blitz i mean they are among the league leaders perhaps even the leader in blitzing and so i think that experience will help wilson this week you know behind closed doors just going through the tape with him and telling him what to look out for and ultimately, he's going to have to go out and do it himself on Sunday. I think it's a really bad matchup for Zach Wilson. But I think Flacco's experience does help matters. Again, Rich Samini joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, let's turn our attention to the game at hand. And, and, and you really hit the nail on the head. And that is this Miami Dolphins team, uh, highest blitz rate in the NFL at 38%. And as we know, Zach Wilson completion percentage, 45% against the blitz. So, How's, how is he going to be able to turn this around, especially on the road down there in Miami? Well, they're going to have to run the ball. I mean, otherwise this could get really ugly for Zach. Now, the good news is Michael Carter, uh, the running back, will be back this week. He missed three games with that ankle. He's been practicing all week, and, uh, you know, he will have a significant role in the game, according to Robert Sala. So look for a lot of touches for Michael Carter. If they can get him going, that would help so much because if they're in passing downs, it's going to be really, really hard on Zach. I mean, the, the thing that Miami does really well, you know, they do blitz a lot. We know that their post-snap looks, uh, they do a great job of disguising their coverages. So the, the picture that Zach will be taking, the mental picture he will be taking pre-snap is going to look different post-snap. And I don't think he has the experience right now to process that very quickly and so this, this could be a really, really long afternoon for him. And the other thing to, to look out for is George Fant, their left tackle, is probably not going to play. He's doubtful he's had a knee injury. So you're going to see Connor uh, McDermott at left tackle. I think Jet fans are probably a little freaked out by that, that the uh, line side of their young quarterback is going to be protected by a guy who's played only seven snaps this year. He's played very little left tackle in his career. He is not a left tackle. He's more of a right tackle. I think he could be exposed in, in, pass, uh, in pass protection. Kiwi, any final, final questions for Rich before we go? What, what's, a, what's a positive that you're looking for in this game? What are you looking for him to improve on? You know, obviously there's a lot of I know, evaluation I was just that's been going God, on. I'm just spewing all these negative things you, here. We got, we, got, we got those <laughs> positive in there, right? Yeah. Is there anything positive here to talk about? Uh, well, like I said, Michael Carter will be back. They're also getting Tyler Croft back, their tight end. So you could see some more two tight end looks because Ryan Griffin, I think, has been doing a pretty good job at tight end. And now Croft comes back. Croft was actually the starter at the beginning of the year. So he comes back. He's a pretty good receiver. 
you can do some things there with maybe some 12 personnel. And you still don't have Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, you know, which, which hurts at receiver. And Denzel Mims is coming off a, a week where he just squandered a great opportunity last week. He got benched in the game. I do think he'll play a lot, but um, he's been so erratic that you just never know what you're going to get out of Denzel Mims. But, you know, so if Zach Wilson just continues to manage the game, don't throw the turnovers, uh, the interceptions, which he's been good at the last couple of games. So let's, that's a positive. And just rely on the running game. Try to get the guys into the right play at the line of scrimmage. Um, and then I think they could try to manage this game and keep it close and try to win an ugly one. But, uh, you know, if they can't run the ball, then all bets are off. Rich, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. Really do appreciate it. He's Rich Samini. Make sure you follow him on all things social media. Uh, and uh, we could only we could only hope for the best later on this afternoon Thanks, for Zach Rich. Wilson against that Miami. The Jets defense. haven't won a game in Miami since 2014, so that's sorry, well, Kiwi. That's another negative thing, but uh, <laughs> hey, it's the truth. Yeah, it's all right. so I'm just full of negative stuff. But you know, let's hope maybe the Jets can get things turned around. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Mike, welcome in. Good morning. How you doing? Good morning, guys. How you doing? Great. Great. How's, great. Good morning. How's Pittsburgh treating you? This is uh, great football weather here, guys. December <laughs> in Pittsburgh. This is going to be, uh, I'll tell you what, it's going to be a high of uh, mid-30s. we got two great AFC teams going at it here, and Pittsburgh's trying to make a last stand. It should be a great game. Yeah, Pittsburgh's favored by one and a half. Uh, I'm, I, the, the line has moved. At one point in time, Tennessee was favored. So who do, who do you like here today? Since you've got your finger well, on the I, pulse I, of, of this matchup better than most, yeah, I should probably speak quietly because I'm I'm surrounded by a lot of rabbit steel fans. But I do like Tennessee. You know, Pittsburgh's lost three of the last four. They're last in the league in defending the run. Now, obviously, Tennessee's still missing Derrick Henry, but I just think Pittsburgh right now is just struggling on both sides of the ball. Um, it's amazing to think that they're last in the league in run defense, but. Ben Roethlisberger has played better in the last month or so, uh, last four games. He's had a pass rating of, of over 100. But uh, Tennessee gets back Bud Dupree today, and I expect the former Steeler to play real well. Again, uh, Mike Tannenbaum joining myself and Matthias Kiwanuka. Gentlemen, as always, when Mike joins the program, I like to talk about kick off the hour, talking about some of the uh, you know biggest storylines uh, pertaining to the NFL and, and how general managers would react. And let's start with Urban Meyer. I mean, you know, what a story that is. Coming out of Jacksonville, Mike, and reports are that he kicked the field goal kicker Lam- uh, Lambeau uh, during the preseason. Obviously, the reports out there are, are pretty like unbelievable how he treated his coaching staff and whatnot. Now the Jacksonville Jaguars, as we know, they let him go. And yesterday reports are that they are not going to fulfill his contract and pay him the money that he's owed. What are your thoughts about the situation in Jacksonville with Urban Meyer? You know, guys, to me, it's just another example of there's a big difference between coaching in college and coaching in the NFL. I mean, we could go back to Bobby Petrino or Steve Spurrier, even Nick Saban was had his struggles in Miami. And you look at Matt Rule, who was very successful at Temple, very successful at Baylor. He's struggling in Carolina. And Urban Meyer was a great coach by any standards. I'm not talking about his conduct, but going back to Bowling Green, he was very, very successful. And Utah, Florida, Ohio State. So it just shows you that there's a big, big difference, guys, between coaching in college and coaching in the NFL. Can we, can we talk about that for a second? Because – 
that was, um, you know, this question gets asked me a lot, you know, and my issue with it is that Urban Meyer came to the NFL and his behavior was highlighted because he's now dealing with grown men who have millions of dollars in their pockets, who have a voice and can enact change. Whereas when he was in the college ranks, those guys didn't have the same pool or didn't have the same ability. So when we say there's a difference, does that mean that this type of behavior is acceptable in college? And if it is, how do we change that? Because that's the problem that I have. It's like, all right, these, these guys are, have made it to the NFL. They got him out of there. That's fine. You know, they can move on. But that means that there are a lot of college coaches who are winning and successful who think that this kind of behavior is acceptable. Do you think that that's the case? You know, Matthias, it's a very fair point. I think coaching is a lot of things, but it's about development and leadership, trust and respect. And I think you can uh, inspire and lead people and not always be their best friend and you know, I was around two of the all-time greats in my career, Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, and I don't think anybody would ever characterize them as being easy or nice, but they got the most out of you and they had standards. And I think you look at people like Nick Saban, you know, what he's done in Alabama, he's developed a lot of high-quality football players, but a lot of high-quality people as well. So I think you could be an effective coach, but clearly what happened, for whatever re- reason, Matthias, in Jacksonville just seemed like it went off the rails. It, it seemed like it started off bad and just got continually worse. Again, um, you know, some other storylines out there this week and, and, and how a general manager, um, as you once were, Mike, to handle is, is COVID running rampant in, in the NFL. And, you know, now you, we, we look at the schedule and what's going on. And, and there's some organizations that are not happy with the decisions that the NFL made, right? So as we know, uh, the Raiders now moved to Monday to take on Cleveland. And more importantly, you've got Seattle and the Rams, Washington and Philadelphia now moved to Tuesday. Now, the big reason why is uh, Seattle, well, the Rams really hit hard. Washington hit hard. Philadelphia and Seattle are sitting, sitting here saying, well, we weren't hit hard. What happens if Monday night, Tuesday morning, we come down with a significant player who comes down with COVID? You're going to move the game again for us? I, I mean, there's, there's, you know, talk about, you know, my mom is always, life isn't fair, sweetheart, but like, you know, there, there's, there, there's got to be some huge concern here. If you were a general manager, how much concern would you have in regard to the way the schedule was moved around this week, Mike? Yeah, I, I think it's just a really difficult situation where it's hard. It's impossible to please 32 teams. You know, we saw Mark Davis, the owner of the Warriors come out and say how unfair it was, not where they're playing this week, but coming back on a short week. And I think, one thing we got to keep in mind is everything we keep hearing, right, is it's joint protocols, right, between the league and the Players Association. So these are jointly agreed upon rules. They're not perfect, but, you know, obviously we're dealing with an insidious virus that's very contagious, and I think the league and the Players Association is trying to do the best they can. And I think what this is going to do is it's going to test the depth in coaching of teams. And, you know, I put out a tweet earlier, Tennessee leads the NFL – in players use with 86 and it just shows you what a great job that Mike Grable has done this year. Do you, do you think, that there, do you think that there's any validity to it? So I, I went on my other show as soon as I heard that the, the, um, the schedules were being changed and I thought it was a positive thing. Okay. The NFL is putting their money where their mouth is because it's going to cost you a lot of money to move games. I thought they obviously wouldn't want to move games if they, didn't have to, but then I hear players and, and, you know, owners and teams who are saying that there's an unfair advantage. Do you think that there's any validity to it? Well, I, I think, you know, part of it, and again, I, I'm a big, let's fo- follow the science and data, Matthias, and 
you know, mm-hmm. I thought the other day it started off with what Bruce Arians said of like, hey, should we let asymptomatic players who have tested positive play? And obviously, the money is about you know shared revenue that, that's shared between the players and the owner. So it's not about just one side getting it or, or not. But to me, if the science and data says you can play, and if you're not contagious, I guess there was a report out of Detroit about how players with no symptoms couldn't practice, but players mm-hmm. with the flu who are throwing up at practice did. So <laughs> I think some logic is, uh, you know, prevailing here. But, you know, your point's a fair one. And, again, I think it's just a moving target right now. Yeah, there's a lot going into it. They're talking about, like, a cycle threshold and how contagious yeah. you would be. And I agree with you 100% that there's – these are completely unprecedented times. The NFL is trying to, you know, make decisions on the fly using the best information that they have. And they're not going to get it 100% right that they are trying. And player safety is the focus, and, and that's the issue. But it's 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 a mess. And I think, you know, a lot of these these coaching staffs, these scouting or, uh, you know, um, scouters need to be commended for the extra work that they've had to be put, they've had to put in because this is not something that any other you know, time period has had to deal with. And, and uh, so there's, there's a lot going on. But I, I was just whether or not you thought there was any validity to that right there. But. Guys, an, another another topic that I want to hit on, and you know, Mike, I know you addressed this a, a lot this week on, on a number of the ESPN platforms, is this trend with coaches going for it on fourth down, whether it's going for it, and we saw it last night, right? We saw it last night in regard to um, the Colts game, but they were very successful uh, with uh, Carson Wentz keeping it and in, in the quarterback keep and and, and getting the first down when they were like fourth and one fourth and inches but nonetheless there's a number of coaches out there that are not having success and one would think that you know if if it's not just going forward on first down right it's deciding to go for a touchdown on fourth down as opposed to kicking a field goal Uh, your thought about this trend I mean is this is this more analytic analytically driven Uh, what's your take on the decisions that are being made this season in around the NFL yeah, I think it is data-driven, and you know, I think we're talking a lot about Brandon Staley, and you know, I think he's kind of leading this sort of like new era of coaches, and I think they're following the math and the data, and it's saying to you know go for it more. And you know, for years, guys, like we we criticized people for like not going for it against you know Kansas City, and now here they are going for it against Kansas City, and they're getting you know criticized. So. I, I like the consistency in his approach, right? But I yeah. do like the consistency in, in his approach. And I think long-term it will serve him well because, you know, Matthias, you know this from a defensive perspective. Like, to beat Patrick Mahomes, you're going to have to outscore him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you have to outplay them on, on the defensive side of the ball and, and give them more opportunities. I, th- I think it's it, – if you win the game, you don't have to explain why you went for it as much. And so we're – we're listening to them and watching them. Um, part of the issue that I have with the explanation is that you take away the element of surprise. Part of the success rate in going for it on fourth down, in my opinion, has to do with the fact that the defense is usually not expecting you to go for it. So now if you say, I'm always going to go by the analytics, um, you're giving an unfair advantage to the teams that you're playing against because now they know, hey, we need to prepare for these situations a little bit more because if we find ourselves in fourth and whatever, they're gonna they're gonna go for it. You know, part of it is, you know, as a defensive player, you know, when you get to fourth down, you know, it's all right, it's either a field goal block or or punt return. 
And then when you have to make that switch, it's like, oh, oh, you know, there's there's a there's an element of surprise that's being, you know, that's being lost there. So I don't mind them going for it. I just, you know, I, I just think that, you know, giving that deep of a detailed explanation kind of, you know, sets you back. And there's a part of the game that is just human. You have to look your players in the eyes and decide whether or not in that moment that they are ready to go for it and if they're going to be successful or not because of you know whatever injury they just sustained out there on the field or however the the, the flow of the game is going so um yeah I'm, I'm with you it's not it can't just all be about numbers right but you know what's interesting about what you're saying is um i think it also goes back to the the offensive play caller which is if he's going to treat basically third down as true third down and it's a four-down mindset, I think it gives you more of your playbook that's available. Like, clearly, Joe Lombardi, the play caller of the Chargers, isn't surprised at this point that, you know, Brandon Staley's, you know, telling him to run a play. So I think it does give you a little bit of an advantage where, where you're truly playing, you know, four-down football more than your opponent is. Do you think that it gives you an advantage to be preparing to play four-down football? Or do you think it gives you a disadvantage to take away that element of surprise? Like, so, uh, so way they, the way that you're saying is like, if you know you're going to the game, hey guys, we're going to play four down football. That means that they should have been preparing all week long for these situations. You think that's an advantage? Yeah, well, I just think from, it's an advantage from a standpoint that if you think about it, if you're playing four down football and your opponent is playing three down football over time, it mm-hmm. should work in your favor. Now, again, gotcha. it didn't the other night. I actually think... Ironically, you know, Anita, when you teed up the subject, I actually thought the one time he got conservative, it cost him. When they went up in the fourth corner, there was about 9.28 left in the game, and they were up seven, and they didn't go for two. If they went for two, they would have been up nine, and obviously it's a two-score game. You know, they they go for one, they go up eight. Kansas City comes down, scores, gets the two-point play on the pass to uh, Edwards-Alaire. So, to me, the, the, the irony was, like, the one time that Brandon Staley didn't, like, you know, Keep his foot on the gas, I think, cost them. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks.